1: This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we learn more about a hub being built in the middle of the interstate near Berthoud as a part of CDOT's I-25 expansion project.
2: Any type of transportation, it's one location that it comes together. Plus, we check in on the state of climate change initiatives working their way
3: through the state legislature.
1: And we hit the outdoor dance floor as prom returns to some northern Colorado high schools. That and more coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. And
3: I'm Henry Zimmerman. State lawmakers have unveiled a transportation bill they say will raise more than $3 billion for roadwork over the next decade by charging people more to use them. State Senator Steve Fenberg says that includes new fees on ride shares and deliveries. You're ordering lunch on, on from Uber Eats. You're ordering your toilet paper or different things for your home on Amazon. You are Uh, using the roads one way or another probably dozens of times a day. And so we need to figure out how do we, in this modern day, how do we pay for our roads?
1: Deliveries, except for groceries, would cost an extra 27 cents under the proposal. It also includes a $1.5 billion investment from the state's general fund.
3: Federal stimulus money, on the other hand, has started making its way to Colorado's roads and bridges. Earlier this year, the Colorado Department of Transportation approved more than $150 million in funding for specific road projects. The state is expecting to see even more funding this year from Biden's American Rescue Plan, which Congress passed back in March.
1: One of the projects already getting a boost is the I-25 expansion underway in northern Colorado. CDOT is spending almost $7 million to build something called a Mobility Hub, a new kind of bus station that picks up passengers in the middle of the interstate. KUNC's Matt Bloom recently visited the site to learn more.
4: We're out here off of the State Highway 56 exit to Berthoud in northern Colorado. Across the street is kind of a mess of construction right now where crews are building a mobility hub. And that's what we're here to talk about with the mayor of Berthoud, Will Karspek, and CDOT's Abra Geisler. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks
2: for having us. I'm excited. Yes, thank you.
4: Mayor, I want to start
2: with you. How do mobility hubs work? Like, what are they? The overall idea is just a a central area for multimodal transportation. So bus, whether in your own vehicle, um, connecting to airports, bicycles it's just any any type of transportation it's one location that it comes together so for here for our interchange the mobility hub is is essentially an I don't want to call it a bus stop it's a it's a bus station where the bus staying will be able to drive on I25 like usual but instead of pulling off into the interchange and getting off I25 it'll merge onto the center of the interstate and have its own special stop from there passengers can load go underneath through a pedestrian tunnel and walk up into the middle of I-25 and access that bus. So it's a essentially a way where the bus can stay on I-25 which uh, minimizes any kind of delay and also is much safer. And it's a way for uh, passengers to go underneath I-25 to so have a little shelter and get out right into the middle and onto the bus. Abra, is this a unique project for CDOT?
4: Do you have other mobility hubs across the state? And if not, how is this different?
0: There are definitely other mobility hubs across the state, but this one and the, the other mobility hub at Kendall Parkway that's getting constructed with the I-25 project as well, they're going to be the first median loaded uh, bus loading station, which is really important, like the mayor said, because it increases safety a lot where the bus isn't having to navigate across the general purpose lanes out of the express lane. and on the on and off ramps and merging um, to get on to traffic into the traffic but they'll be able to stay in the express lane then merge into the median and right back into that express lane so much safer and that was a big priority for us when we were designing this project
4: mayor who do you envision using this the most
2: uh well For one, I think citizens of uh, residents of the Berthet area, um, where we're standing right now is going to be another massive development called Wilson Ranch, which will be around 4,000 residential units and and some commercials. So roughly uh, 8,000 people too out here. So if we can get a shuttle out from uh, our traditional Berthet area plus Wilson Ranch, I'd say that's the primary users and uh, they're likely going to be others from Johnstown or or, you know maybe coming from other cities to this location Um, but I'd say it's primarily Bertha area residents so very excited a question for both of you I'm curious what your thoughts are on
4: what you know this project getting it done the mobility hub in particular says about our region right now and, and the needs that it has
2: it's we're exploding we're it, our population is is growing exponentially so um i think this is a very smart move on behalf of the state it's really a, a strategic kind of um when a pivot essentially to not only build more lanes for uh, vehicles but also to look at other modes of transportation that are uh, more environmentally friendly and uh, ultimately I, I think more fiscally responsible you know every time we build a lane Um, is essentially gonna need to be a toll lane like this is. So uh, having something where people can come together onto one vehicle, uh, in this case, a bus staying, a a premium type of bus with Wi-Fi and and comfortable seating, um, it's a good way to go forward. I think it's a lot more fiscally responsible um, and environmentally friendly and and more comfortable and convenient.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think with the boomers getting older and the millennials not showing a strong interest in driving, like the mayor said the pivot is now and that time has come so we're we're responding very well to that and uh, just the collaboration with the northern front range communities on this has been really great and really the main reason why this is happening
4: thank you so much to both of you for meeting me out here today thank you i'm smiling behind my mask you can't see it right now but
0: your eyes are smiling
4: (laughs) That was
3: KUNC's Matt Bloom speaking with Berthoud Mayor William Karspeck and Abra Geisler, an engineer with the Colorado Department of Transportation.
1: Of course, it's not all transportation on the minds of lawmakers at the state capitol. Climate change remains a key concern for many state and local leaders. In a press conference late last month, Governor Jared Polis called reducing our emissions, quote, a moral imperative. Here with more on the state's climate priorities and the path to get there is Ken Amundsen, Managing Editor of BizWest. Ken, thank you for talking with us.
5: Happy to do so.
1: We're not out of the pandemic yet. So it's interesting, possibly a little bit counterintuitive, uh, to hear that lawmakers are still thinking about climate change. What are some of the initiatives being talked about this year?
5: In the legislature, you know, they're looking at... um, the transportation bill, a uh, huge transportation bill that was just presented this week that, uh, you know, looks at front range rail and subjects like that, that uh, many thought were many, many years off. But now it looks like maybe they're a lot closer within the next decade we would be seeing something. And that'll have some impact on emissions and greenhouse gases and all that charging stations for electric vehicles, uh, which of course are essential to uh, uh, moving towards more electric vehicles. When you have uh, Ford Motor Company, GM and others saying that they're gonna be making massive conversions of their vehicle fleets, this is happening extremely rapidly more rapidly than probably any of us realized would happen.
1: A part of the transition toward more renewable energy involves the transmission pathways. Part of that could involve modernizing the state's infrastructure, including transportation. The governor recently proposed a, a pretty ambitious transportation bill. How does this fit with climate
5: goals? I think we know the governor is is very much a proponent of um conversion to electric vehicles so that that's tied in with the uh, the transportation bill code requirements will probably be coming uh, uh, on the local level if not the state level that would um, require developments to have a certain number of charging stations and that kind of thing tax-related incentives to encourage development to uh, adopt more green methodology in their buildings. So a lot of different things like that, that are kind of driven by legislation or by tax incentives that uh, would be available.
1: The private sector also plays a large role. Can you talk about what that looks like?
5: The private sector will have a a major role in whatever happens here with regard to reducing emissions. 70% of carbon emissions are generated from the corporate sector. So therefore, they have to be a player in, in reducing that and companies are starting to see the benefit of reducing emissions. You know, if they make their buildings more efficient, it saves them money, it, it increases the bottom line. Of course, there's some capital cost up front. Payback might not be as rapid as some companies like, but nonetheless, in the fourth year, you're starting to see a bigger bottom line as a result of that. I was very intrigued. Uh, recently, we are talking with some folks about uh, the rideshare company Lyft, which uh, plans to have a to have a hundred percent electric vehicle fleet by 2030. Now, when you stop to think about that, that's pretty interesting, since Lyft does not own those vehicles. So, how do they do that? Well, they uh, anticipate that. The vehicles that are used for rideshare programs turn over every two to three or four years. So that means that there's an opportunity to encourage those drivers to adopt um, electric vehicles. You know, over time, then it, it changes very rapidly. Now, a gas powered vehicle, you know, has about a 15 year lifespan. So if you were just waiting for, People to wear out their gas-powered cars before you make this change. It doesn't happen very rapidly, but with uh, rideshare programs, with rental car companies, they turn over a stock pretty rapidly. And as they adopt electric vehicles, so say in, um, they start to bring electric vehicles online in two or three, or four years they. They sell those off to the private sector, which then helps to lower the price of those vehicles, those used vehicles for the average consumer. And so it it, it moves through the economy pretty rapidly. So I found that intriguing on how they had uh, kind of stretched that out and determined how this is going to change.
1: Ken Amundsen is Managing Editor of BizWest. You'll find links to this reporting at our website, KUNC.org. Ken, thank you so much for joining us.
5: Thank you very much, Aaron.
3: You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Nothing marks the end of high school quite like prom night, but for many high school seniors this year, prom also marks the first time they're reuniting with friends and classmates they haven't seen since the pandemic began.
1: KUNC's Alana Schreiber went to prom at a high school in Greeley, outdoors and socially distanced, to find out what this night means for the students, teachers, and administrators who attended.
6: Prom. To some, it's this big, flashy culmination of their high school experience. For others, it's a lame, antiquated dating ritual. Prom is often the final chapter of a teen book or movie. It's when the shy girl is crowned the queen, or when the dorky guy finally gets up the courage to ask his crush to dance. But for all its dramatization, for most people, prom is just kind of a rite of passage, a sense of something normal in an otherwise highly abnormal year. Last year, the five public high schools in Greeley, Colorado, like most schools around the country, canceled their annual proms. But this year, teachers and administrators were determined to host these celebrations for their students.
0: So this is Greeley West High School, and this is prom number four for us.
6: Teresa Myers is the chief of communication for the Greeley-Evans school system. And she's also one of the masterminds behind this year's proms.
0: We have a COVID emergency response team that meets twice a week. About in January, we started talking about graduations and proms and would we be able to have those. And um, we put a plan together, submitted it to the Well County Department of Public Health. They made a few suggestions and said, "Okay, go ahead, you
6: can have prom. And now she's hurrying around District 6 Stadium eagerly adding glow
0: sticks to every table. So one of our biggest challenges was finding venues (laughs) because venues aren't really open yet because of COVID. So what you see are these huge wedding tents. There's lights that delineate where the kids can dance. There will be masks, but there's a dance floor and there's a DJ and there's beautiful lights. And I think the kids are gonna have a great time.
4: Who would have thought you'd have homecoming in wedding tents on a football field.
6: Jeff Crantz, the principal of Greeley West High School.
4: We've got great kids, so we're excited for them. We're excited that we can celebrate with them and, and put this on for them. They, Like I said, they haven't had a lot to do.
6: But of course, you can't have a prom in 2020 21 without COVID safety measures. Kids deserve an event like they've been through the ringer just like all of us and um, they want to have a special high school memory but how can we do that safely? Amanda Jones is an assistant principal at Greeley West and she's helped come up with a creative system to maintain social distancing, prom pods.
0: Inside of the tents, you see
6: 21 tables and there are seven colors, so there's three tables for each color. And and so as students arrive, they'll get a glow-in-the-dark wristband that matches that color, and then they'll be escorted to their table, and so their pod is a color. And then each of those colors gets a five-yard section of the field all the way up and down. And then in between that, we've got some string lights that are creating a good ambiance, but they're also (laughs) strategically helping keeping our pods separate. At seven students start to line up at the stadium parking lot you guys
4: look fantastic Thank you
6: and they'd be the first to tell you just how hard this year's been There were no football games, no homecoming.
4: We didn't even get school lunches, no going off campus or anything uh, just didn't even know what we were doing no more it got confusing
6: While most students shifted to get a look at the big white limo around the corner, there was one kid, leaning against the fence, totally uninterested.
7: My name is Jose Holguin. I go by Joe.
6: Joe was a junior at Greeley West High School. He's got dark, shaggy hair and wears a bright red tie. And this is his first prom.
7: I've never kid. been to homecoming or no okay. prom, yeah, and this is it's my first time junior. doing yeah. so. So I figured, <laughs> well, why not? Be like, let because let first two years, I was too I shy oh, and <laughs> antisocial of everything and everybody. So this year I decided, I had that sense of empathy. I thought about the seniors the previous year, they didn't get a prom and I'm like, and I'm getting one, I'm like, take advantages of the opportunities I have that others couldn't have and wanted. So I figured, just go, have fun, be with my friends and see how it is, enjoy the experience.
6: And now he's just waiting for the night to begin.
7: Ready for anything really, I'm I'm excited, but also thinking about like certain situations. But overall, I think it's gonna be fun. How much is
4: it? For it one? is $10 a piece.
6: Thank you. It's around 7.30. The sun is setting, but most students are still avoiding the dance floor.
7: Hey, we're almost out. We started dancing already. They, they just need a little bit of better music, that's it. Yeah, we would like better music. <laughs> Not gonna lie, but that's, we gonna boogie no matter what. I'm looking forward to dancing with a couple girls. No, he Let, them know. Let them know who Let it is.
6: Know, Some line up at the photo booth.
7: <laughs> I wanna take pictures, you know the vibes? The vibes.
6: Some start breaking the rules.
7: We're wearing heels and we knew it wasn't allowed, but it's because of the outfit, bro. Pain is temporary. Swag is forever, bro. Swag is the drip, bro. <laughs>
6: and others are just excited to see their favorite teachers.
4: I don't think you gonna be here. A lot of the kids I don't think expect their teachers to give up like their Saturday night to come hang out
6: with them. But Miss Upshaw wouldn't have missed this for anything. It's a chance to see the kids as human and show our support. And it's nice to be able to see them like all dressed up and excited about something again. As the sun starts to set, more students enter the dance floor. And one of the most excited among them is Jake.
4: Look what I'm doing right now, Lana. <laughs>
6: Jake's a senior, and he's blind. Although he entered the stadium with a walking stick, he's entering the dance floor led by the hand of his date.
4: I wanted to dance right when I came here, but Selena wants to dance when everyone gets here.
0: Yes.
4: <laughs> and not just with me.
6: And dancing close by to Jake is Miss Tanya, the district brailleist. She works with blind and visually impaired students.
1: I've been with Jake since kindergarten, first grade, and now this year he's graduating. So big celebratory night. And even
6: after Jake graduates, Miss Tanya will still be close by.
1: Um, I'll move on with him to transition. But yes, it'll be a very emotional moment, just as tonight is, but yeah. But then we get to we get to hang out more after,
0: you know, he's out of school, and then uh, I get to take him to dinner
4: or go to a movie with him, whereas right now I can't do that kind of stuff. So yeah, it'll be awesome, it'll be awesome. Look, Alana, I, I sat on the ground earlier, Alana, because I got tired of dancing. But, Benny- but just because they're not in school tonight,
6: doesn't mean Jake isn't giving Miss Tanya a hard time.
0: So is it nice to have Miss Tanya here at prom?
4: Kinda? <laughs> I just don't want her to make me do any math here.
3: Get out of here.
8: Forget talking to you. <laughs> How rude.
6: <laughs> By now it's eight. The sun is down and students are crowding the dance floor. But over in the tent, Joe, the junior with the shaggy hair and red tie, is taking a break.
7: I don't really know what to do out there. Like, I, I originally did have someone to come with and tag along with, but uh, they kind of canceled on me the day after. So I'm kind of like being here with my friends, but they're all doing their own thing, you know what I mean? And, I don't mind, you know. I'm here for them and I'm rooting for them, you know. Good luck with everything. But eh, I, never, I don't know how to dance, you know.
6: But while most of the students are getting their groove on, the COVID protocols aren't exactly working as planned. I
4: gotta break you up or they're gonna shut you down here. You guys gonna be back in your groups? split it up here. We're gonna shut this down here, unfortunately.
6: While students reluctantly get back into their prom pods and designated dancing areas, there's one familiar face re-entering the stadium floor. Looking to try dancing one more time. It's Joe, and reluctantly, he starts to dance. Joe,
4: Joe, 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 Joe.
6: <laughs> yeah, it's a little embarrassing, but he said it himself. It's prom night, and after a year of so much nothing, He's ready for anything. (laughs) From Greeley West Prom at District 6 Stadium, I'm Alana Schreiber for KUNC.
1: That was the fourth high school prom in Greeley this year. The fifth and final prom for Jefferson High School will take place this Saturday night.
3: Each year, the cable network Turner Classic Movies puts on a film festival in a movie palace in Los Angeles. This year, the TCM Classic Film Festival, which runs from May 6th through May 9th, is online. For KUNC film critic Howie Mavshevitz, who teaches film and television at CU Denver, it's a chance to see some exceptional films.
8: He highlights two programs in particular. It never makes sense to me that animation should look like the world we actually live in. Animators can imagine life on a different plane. In the great cartoons, ducks and bears talk. The laws of physics and gravity are suspended, so coyotes can run off cliffs without falling, at least until they know they're in midair. Donkeys turn into music boxes. And in spite of being pummeled, blown up, dropped from great heights, run over by bulldozers, and on and on, no being is ever hurt. On a violent scale, I think that's a lot better than the angry destruction and killing in the animation kids watch now. The Tex Avery program in the TCM Classic Film Festival shows what animation can be. Avery's work has pace and rhythm, it's lively, and duh, it's funny. Instead of the computerized, symmetrical, round, blankly earnest faces, Avery goes for the joy of hand-drawn, asymmetrical eccentricity. Motion is smooth, sometimes graceful and sometimes explosive. Avery doesn't imitate the look of actual things, like the dreary Pixar attempts to look somehow real. He parodies actuality, from the look of houses and people to the comic, malicious motivations of cats and dogs. In Red Hot Riding Hood, the characters are tired of the famous old fairy tale.
5: I'm fed up with that sissy stuff. It's the same old story over and over. If you can't do this thing a new way, bud, I quit. Me too.
8: So they move to the city. Red Hot Riding Hood now vamps in a nightclub, which makes the eyes of the wolf bulge in and out. And Grandma, in her high-rise apartment, outliers and letches the wolf himself. Avery's TV of tomorrow, made in 1953, sixty eight years ago, still manages to nail the absurdities of television right now. The great British filmmaking team of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger made a series of absolute masterpieces from the late 1930s into the 50s. The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, Black Narcissus about British nuns who lose their focus in an exotic India. and the definitive and terrifying ballet movie The Red Shoes. What these films share with Tex Avery's delirious cartoons is a magnificent defiance of literal reality. Actors' performances are pushed just a bit beyond the natural. Powell and Pressburger heighten their colors so that the worlds of their films feel more intense than actuality. There's more at stake which pulls the audience in more deeply And so the Powell-Pressburger movies are more dangerous and more consuming than many films. I Know Where I'm Going in breathtaking black and white shows a headstrong young woman played by a luminous Wendy Hiller. She announces to her skeptical, soft-spoken father that she's leaving London and heading off to an island off an island off the west coast of Scotland to marry a man her father's age who's one of the richest people in Britain. Before you know it, she's calling to her father from the train.
6: And darling, don't worry about me. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going.
8: She may think she knows where she's going, until she runs into a young naval officer on leave. What follows is a drama of her manic certainty crumbling until only the best and strongest parts of her are left, without the pretensions and you know it long before her wedding dress flies off a skiff into a wild maelstrom in the ocean. All of this takes place within a dramatic Scottish landscape and seascape. Powell and Pressburger never come at things the way you expect, so this film, like their others, comes as constant surprise and is always incredibly beautiful. For KUNC, I'm Howie Movshevitz. That's our show for today.
1: On the next Colorado Edition, we'll speak with the new food editor at 5280 Magazine. She's the first Asian American woman to lead the magazine's dining coverage. I'm Erin O'Toole.
3: And I'm Henry Zimmerman. Our production staff includes Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer.
1: Thanks so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.